during this service. Uh, I am going to welcome you to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here, Grace, and we are so glad you are here. Brand new battery pack from my microphone. You remember it went out a few weeks <clears throat> All right, we're working on it, and I hope I don't have the uh, microphone, which I might do. Uh, before we get started into the, the sermon, uh, on the slides, I'll just mention this at the first of, uh, of the series. Scott Chambly does all the design for our uh, sermon series. For Um, what are we going to do? Go to the other, go to the backup. If this is your first time, you just need to understand that when I get a microphone in my hand, <laughs> something happens. So, um, I'm, again, glad you're here. I, I'm, David was, was talking about the, the Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer, a stone of remembrance, May 1st, 1972. That was a big, important day for me. In fact, you can say in many ways it was the most important day of my life. Now, I, I understand many of you thinking, he was born on May 1st of 1972. <laughs> no, no. I was 18, shocking as it may seem. I was 18 on May of 1972, May of 1972. But in a way, I was born. I was born again on that day. I mean, many people wondered how I found myself mixed up with Jesus. I was a strident opponent of the gospel. I sang along with John Lennon almost every day. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below. Above us, only sky. I cursed those who tried to convert me. I laughed at those who were swept up in the revival known as the Jesus Movement back in those early 70s. But then, in spite of all of my running, Jesus ran me down. And on May 1st of 1972, I was converted when I fell on my face and asked the Lord to save me. I confessed my sins and I called out to Jesus. I was in the last year of my high school Days, I had the reputation of being a hippie without any direction in life. And believe me, the reputation was well deserved. I was going absolutely nowhere. And I was just a miserable human being. When, when the Lord saved me on that, that Monday night in May, I remember thinking, I'm not going to tell anybody tomorrow about this. I'm just not going to. I'm going to wait and see what happens and then... I'll start telling people. I mean, look, I had tried so many times to reform myself to no avail. I mean, it was, I was utterly unsuccessful in trying to change my life. And so I didn't want to promote a life now that I would be unable to, to, to live myself. So no telling anybody the next day. I, I didn't make it through first period. I mean, I was telling everybody. There's a difference when you try to clean your life up, and when the Lord cleans you up. My life would never be the same after that Monday night. I, I told several people that day about what Jesus had done for me, and by the, 
By the end of the week, everyone knew. What can I say? Fuquay was a small town, so everybody knew. Everybody knew the hippie. Everybody knew what had happened. Earlier this week, uh, when I recalled that day, that night when Jesus saved me, I just wept. I, I, I wept with tears of joy for remembering those days and, or that particular moment in such vivid colors the Lord allowed me uh, to remember. I wept also, though, for the loss of my first love. I, I wept over the ways that I have taken back control of my life so many times and, and have lived for myself rather than for Him and the fact that I, I don't have the same passion that I did. As a, in those early days, I, I witnessed to everything that moved and I didn't mind anybody thinking anything about me. I just shared Jesus. Look, I, I share the gospel almost any opportunity I have now, but I don't look for the opportunities. I don't pray for the opportunities that I used to in those days. So I wept over that. But it was the weeping of repentance, and I hope you've experienced this. The seeds of joy are embedded in, in, in tears of repentance. When you repent, when you, full, when you fully come clean with God, you can feel, it's like, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to start to be feeling happy here. I'm, I'm, I'm sad about my sin, but God is bringing the joy of forgiveness at the very moment that you're confessing your sin. Look, I hope that you don't mind that I shared my personal story with you. I know a lot of you, especially those of you who were saved later in life, have dramatic stories. And then there are others of you who cannot remember a time when you didn't believe in Jesus. I'm going to guess that whatever your story is, you wish you had the other story. That's just kind of the way we are, isn't it? Here's what we have in common. Every one of us was headed for hell, rightly so, because our sin had separated us from a holy and righteous God. But someone, our parents, a friend, a stranger, someone told us that Jesus died to save us and that by repenting of your sins, if you will repent of your sins and trust his death on the cross as payment for your sin, then you will become a child of God. And that's what happened to many, if not most of us in this room. Somewhere along the way, we heard the gospel and we were saved. We're talking about this this morning in, in the newcomers class, the Grace Connection class. I've heard lots of stories, especially in the Arab world, where people have visions and then they are led to someone or they encounter someone who tells them the gospel. They were prepared by the vision but Jesus never comes to someone by him or herself and, and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in me. Oh, yes, I believe. In fact, Ted McKinney used to work in, in Suriname. And in the jungles, there's a story. Art Yoner and, and uh, our current missionary. Somebody help me, help me. Roy Lytle, Roy Lytle a good gracious Roy. You will love it when Roy Lytle comes and preaches here. But... But Roy was back in the camp, and, and Art had heard about this group of, of um, nomads that were out in the, in the woods, and, the, and they went out to, to try to reach them, find them, and encounter them for Christ. And this lady was there with her two children. When they found her, she had gotten separated from the group. 
And they said, are you hungry? She said, yes, I'm hungry. And listen, Art, Roy, independent, fundamental, premillennial missionary down the line, never very Baptist. This is not things that they were looking for. You understand what I'm saying? These guys are just fundamentalists. They were in the Word. They, they weren't looking for this. So they, they encountered this woman and they gave her some food and she said, the man told me you would come. And they, they said, what man? She said, well, we got separated. My children and I were here and a leopard or panther, whatever kind of animal, a cat came and started surrounding us and they're very fatalistic, these people. So she just got her children together and they're like, well, okay, we're going to die. And she said, all of a sudden, a white man stood between us. Whiter than you, she pointed to Roy and said, whiter than you. And the, and the cat ran off and she said, men will come who will tell you about me. Now, that ought to give you chills because it didn't say we'll tell you about the Lord. This guy said, men will come who will tell you about me. That must have been Jesus. And you know how she got saved? She heard the gospel by Roy and the, and the ones who... And when Roy was here years ago, he had a picture of this woman, her children. It, it, an amazing story. But even in a circumstance where Jesus himself appears to people, he points them to someone who will share the proclaimed word of God to them. So today, we officially begin our new series, Engage the World with the Gospel. You'll recognize that it's part, it's the last part of our purpose statement. This series is about evangelism, of course. It's about sharing Jesus with those who don't know Him. As we frequently say here at Grace Community, and it was already stated this morning, we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, not in those exact words, but it was already stated. We are to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Not so that we can be born again every day, but so that we can remember that everything good in our lives comes from the Lord. Preaching the gospel to ourselves reminds us that God does not base His love and acceptance on our performance. But when He looks at you as a believer... He sees Jesus, and He is pleased. That doesn't mean we don't sin, that we don't need to repent. The gospel reminds us when we've got sin in our lives, confess it to the Lord, and that fellowship, that relationship is restored immediately. He forgives us, and all is well. This series, though, is not about preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's about preaching the gospel to the lost. Now, the sermons in this series, the introduction is a little longer today than it typically is, but it's introduced in the whole series. The, the sermons in this series may not go in exactly the way that you think they will. Uh, evangelism in, a, in America has often been programmatic, and surely, surely God has used the the, the four spiritual laws and evangelism explosion and Thursday night visitation and Revivals, planned revivals, as oxymoronic as that sounds when you think about it. Hey, we're going to have a revival next week. Even so, that was not the way the gospel spread in the first three centuries. Well, haven't we come a long way? Yes, but a lot of people, a lot of Christian theologians, thinkers, philosophers, 
expect Christians to go back to the way it was in the first three centuries where there was a great deal of resistance to the gospel, but also opportunity for people to see and hear the gospel in ways that they never would have under our current structure. So this series is going to be a lot more free-flowing than it will be structured, much as evangelism was in those first few centuries. Where are we going to be in the first week in November? I don't know. I'm not sure. I want to talk about, along the way, making the most of every opportunity, Colossians 4. Becoming all things to all people in order that some might be saved, 1 Corinthians 9. I want to talk about the best method God has ever devised for evangelizing others, and that's parents passing it down to their children. And that brings up the idea of foster parenting and evangelism or uh, uh, adoption as evangelism. We'll have our mission fair on October 16th and hear how evangelism is, is conducted differently all over the world. It's the same message, but not everybody receives it the same way. And also, you're just not allowed in some places to present it like we can present it here. So how do we do that? We'll look at a number of New Testament verses that talk about sharing Christ but one of the things that you discover when you read through the New Testament, if you're, if you're looking for it, is that there are nearly as many commands to mobilize and advance the gospel in the New Testament as you think there are. And we're going to encounter a huge one today in our message. But on the whole, it's almost as if the ex- expectation for sharing Christ was so profound among these ancient believers that not a whole lot needed to be said about outreach. Sharing the gospel with the lost should readily flow from those who are saved. If you were saved later in life, I can almost guarantee that happened. I was in my, my, my uncle's shop when I was uh, um, uh, a new believer. And somehow a, a, a WRAL television personality came in and we, we started talking. I just started witnessing because it's just what I did. You know, I, I just started sharing Christ. He said, I believe in half of what you believe in. I believe in heaven. I just don't believe in hell. I said, yeah, but if you don't believe, then you'll spend eternity in the place you don't believe in. I mean, that's just the way I, I, I just didn't know any better than to just share it like that. And the gospel ought to readily flow from us. I wouldn't say that now. I believe just exactly like I believed then but I, I would use different methods. If there's a single text in the New Testament that has to be considered in any study about uh, New Testament outreach, it is Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, the Great Commission, in which Jesus gives marching orders to his disciples, and by extension to all who follow Jesus until he returns. All of us who are disciples of Jesus are given these Marching orders. We'll spend at least two weeks in this text, possibly three. And, and, and I would like to say that I guarantee you won't be bored. I, I can't say that. I, I can't say I seriously, highly doubt that you will be bored. And I certainly hope that that is the case. It, it's quite easy to miss the profound implications of some texts because they're so familiar to us. Just almost take them for granted, and we, we fail to remember, hey, there's a reason that they're so familiar to us. Because there is a great 
still a profound implication in this text. We'll never, we'll never plumb the depths of Scripture in this life. Hopefully, though, in, in a few weeks, you'll have a newfound appreciation for the Great Commission given in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. For a bit more context, we're going to begin in verse 16, and for a bit more context, even where we begin in verse 16, I'll tell you that this happens just after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples are in Galilee, not in Jerusalem, so a little time has passed uh, before Jesus gives this great commission. Uh, as is our custom, I'll ask you to stand, if you would, as we read Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20 uh, together. You read it in your hearts. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that we have understanding of your message to us by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you led, that you directed someone, at least from this passage, if not primarily from this passage, to come to us and to share the good news that Jesus died for us. We pray that you would burn the truth of this text into our hearts and that we might look to you as we think about going out to share this wonderful news. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Allison uh, shared about Mike Rader and his ministry, and she talked about the importance of expository preaching. Um, it is so, just imagine... With all the prosperity gospel that is in, in Africa, how important it is for Mike to go and teach these pastors how to interpret Scripture and then how to preach it energetically. He does that in Australia. Australia has got some of the best theological uh, thought out there today, but there's sometimes in Australia the preaching is not as energetic as it is in other places. And Mike encourages preachers to do that. And Allison and I have witnessed firsthand the importance of energetic preaching of the Word in that nation. Um, whenever you are doing a series on a topic, whenever you're dealing with a topic, it doesn't give you liberty to just go away from the Word. You still have to treat the Word the same way. When you take this text that we're taking today, I'm preaching it expositorily. We're digging in, we're looking, and... Being Faithful to the Word. The title of this series is taken, again, from our, our, the third focus of our church purpose statement, Engage the World with the Gospel. 
As an introduction to this series, we need to just think about the entire, what is our purpose as a church? What is our purpose as individual believers? It's to exalt the Lord, establish believers, and then engage the world with the gospel. It's not that our church purpose statement is driving the message, but rather it is that the scripture is driving the purpose statement, the sermon, the entire series. So it's best to understand our focus on outreach in light of the broader context to which the church is called. That said, the main points of the message will come from our purpose statement today. Exalt the Lord, establish believers, engage the world with the gospel, beginning with the first privilege and responsibility we have as believers, which is to exalt the Lord. The occasion that occasion that we're following today in Matthew 28 took place in Galilee. Jesus, we're told, was with his 11 disciples and they worshiped him. But some doubted. Now, who was it that doubted? I mean, there are several possible explanations for the comment, but it seems best to understand Matthew was saying that the the disciples who were with him, the 11, worshiped Jesus, but there were some who were not there who doubted. If indeed it was some of the disciples who were with Jesus who doubted, don't you know that you have to consider the trauma that they had gone through in the days, uh, previous days, uh, expectation for Jesus to take the throne of Israel and go straight from that to the arrest and the, and the crucifixion and then rumors that Jesus had been seen alive three days later and then all of a sudden in that room that where they are staying that first day, that first Easter Sunday, Jesus just appears. He's just in their midst. Now they're in Galilee talking to him. Maybe they were thinking it was just too good to be true or they couldn't believe their own eyes. Wondered if they were hallucinating or maybe this is a dream and I'll wake up from this. I mean, look, many of of you, many of us have had times of doubt in our lives. Jesus was about to address their hearts, though, in a very profound way. Let's read again verses 18 to 20 and see if you can find a particular emphasis in this text. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the day. Did you pick up on anything in in that text? I, I mean, look, it's appropriate. This is not the main point of the text, but... Following Jesus, it's all or nothing. Following Jesus is all or nothing. You can't play around with the notion of Jesus and really be following Him. You know, just like in a moment, oh, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. Or, hey, Jesus is my main man. Now look, when I say that, let me say quickly, I understand that we all have our own vernacular, we all have our own way of talking about it. But what do you think would happen if all of a sudden Jesus were to appear in our midst right now, if he appeared in his glory? We would be on our faces. I don't care how bad your arthritis is. I don't care how little room there is in the aisle. Every one of us would be on our faces and in a hurry. 
And when we say we're going to follow Jesus, it's got to be with all of our hearts. Isaiah 43, 7 tells us we are created for God's glory. Psalm 96, 9 instructs all the nations to worship Yahweh, who was the covenant God of the nation of Israel. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Revelation 4.11 affirms what Isaiah 43 said, When all the saints will say along with all creation for all eternity, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. They existed and were created. When the disciples worshipped Jesus... They had made up their minds that they were all in. And when you've seen the Lord, in his, when He has called you to Himself, and you have seen Him with just the slightest bit of understanding about His glory, you're all in as well. Jesus said, all authority under heaven and earth is given to me. When the disciples worshipped Jesus, they were worshipping God. When they baptized converts, they did so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice that Jesus didn't baptize the disciples into the names of the Father, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. He baptized them into the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, that little preposition. He said, baptize them in the name, but really in the Greek, literally it is into the name. We're going to talk more about that next week. But he said, into the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. The Trinity is another one of those doctrines, one of those truths of Scripture that we, we just almost take for granted. One of the reasons maybe that we... We, we do that with the Trinity. Is it, it just hurts your head if you think about it too, too, too hard. Uh, this was the first time God's name had been fully expressed to mankind. In Matthew 28, the name with which the Lord related to His covenant people was Yahweh. But now Jesus gives His full name to the disciples. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I, I've heard some people say, and I know that some of you would would have heard this as well. The one doctrine in Scripture that I just cannot get my mind wrapped around is the Trinity. That's probably why we have so many Mormons and so many Jehovah's Witnesses because these are people that said, I can't, I just can't go there. My mind won't make it work. That's true. Your mind won't make it work. J.I. Packer said this about the Trinity. The historic doctrine of the Trinity confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been asked to handle. I don't see how you disagree with that. Now, you can disagree with it by saying, yeah, because it's a fantasy. It's crazy. It's nuts to believe the Trinity. But when the Holy Spirit has called you to Himself, when the Holy Spirit has called you to Jesus you got to deal with it. And the best way to deal with it is to deal with it by faith. 
When you get past the point of trying to figure out, do I really believe this is true or not? Then all of a sudden, the Trinity begins to explain things that didn't make sense in the past. So if you have trouble with this doctrine, let me encourage you to just cry out to the Lord, help me to believe, cause me to believe this and move on to the next stage of seeing all the beautiful implication. Listen, a lot of people consider the Trinity to be the most important doctrine in Scripture because everything flows from it. Salvation by grace through faith, everything flows from it. God's Word, the authority of God's Word. I believe it. I agree. It's the most important doctrine in Scripture. And I say it a lot, and so just make sure you understand. I've already mentioned Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in the Trinity. In fact, nobody else besides Christians believe the Trinity. Catholics believe the Trinity. They've got, we've got way more in common than, with them than we do with the Mormons and with Jehovah's Witnesses. may not have thought about that. Now, there's another little thing about salvation by grace through faith that sometimes separates Catholics and Protestants. If you were a Catholic here, I'm not trying to rag on your religion. Those men... Those who have been Catholics in the past and have been converted probably would have a different thing to say. But we start at the same place. We believe the Trinity, and that's the most important doctrine in Scripture. And so go from there. Believe when Jesus said, go and tell all nations and baptize and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything you know about me and everything that they are to obey. When you exalt God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, He will be exalted in your life. So, if we fail to exalt Jesus, we fail to exalt God. When we exalt Jesus, we exalt God. Before we share Jesus with the world, we need to exalt Him in our hearts, our minds, our actions our words, that's our first calling. But we're also called to establish believers. When I was in Bible college back in the early 70s, there were a lot of people who were convinced that Jesus would be returning any time. Jack Van Impey used to preach at the place where I was a lot. Anybody ever see Jack Van Impey? Now Jack can do something with a microphone, I want to tell you. Great guy, great heart. I don't agree with his theology, but he, see, he I, I believe, is a believer. Jack was so convinced that the Lord was going to return tomorrow. And so many people were that a lot of people considered dropping out of college, dropping out of preparation for ministry, and going home and witnessing to all of their lost relatives and friends and just making the most use of the time. Something didn't seem quite right about that, but... I, I resonated, my heart resonated with a chapel speaker who came along and said, what would you do if you knew for a fact Jesus would return one year from now? Probably you'd quit school, you'd go home, you'd witness, he said all those things. You'd quit your job if you could possibly afford it, and you would do everything you could to tell others about Jesus. He said, I can tell you what you should do. If you knew for a fact Jesus would return in one year, and he has called you to this school to prepare for ministry, that's where you better be when he returns. 
I couldn't agree more. What do you need to be doing? You need to be living your life according to the gospel. And that is exalting Him and encouraging other believers to live this life that God has called us to live, to love other believers, to build up the church, and to get about the business of establishing those who are in Christ. God has called you to build up the body of Christ according to the spiritual gifts He has given you. I want to challenge you to to, to do a New Testament study you might not have thought about doing. Um, lots of, several of you I know are on a, on a yearly Bible reading plan. I want to encourage everyone to do that next year. Get started in January. Get through it. Lots of different plans. If you're going straight through the Bible, you're coming up on the time where very soon you're going to be in the Gospels and the Epistles. The Epistles, the letters that the Apostle wrote, wrote to the churches around the empire in that Roman Empire in that first century. When you get to the epistles, notice how much is written about evangelism and how much there is about, how much is written about understanding who we are in Christ and how we are to love one another. I think you'll be surprised at what you're going to find. Now, before you make a judgment about where I'm going with this, please hear me out for the remainder of our time. In fact, for the remainder of this series. If you come to grace a time or two, uh, you might leave saying, I tell you what, I, don't, I just don't agree with the things that they said. If you come for a year, it's not that I think you're going to agree with everything that people who stand up here, David and Ricky and the elders, and, and when I'm up here preaching, you're not going to agree with everything we say necessarily, but you'll at least have some biblical understanding of why we believe what we do. So hang in there for a little bit if you like everything, but you just don't agree with this or that. Uh, and, and this is a little bit out of context, but I said this not too long ago, in context of where we had been for a while. Look, God, you, you're in a different place. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, you're in a different place in your understanding of Scripture than you were 20 years ago and hopefully 10 years ago. We're going to grow as believers and our thoughts are going to change about things. So don't be so quick to just dismiss out of hand um, what someone says when preaching from Scripture. Examine it like the people in Berea did. Do not dare take what I say without examining it, especially if you disagree. Say, I need to check that out. I need to study this or, or talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. So... Again, you may not agree, but at least you'll understand the reason behind the positions that we take. So back, once again, to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, in verses 19 and 20, that first sentence there, which is a long one, all of 19, part of 20. What do you think is the primary verb in that? You think it's right up front. Go! That's the command. That's the imperative. But it's not. We've talked about this before. If you've been here, you know this. Make disciples is the primary verb. And you could say, 
as you were going, make disciples. In other words, it's expected that you will go. Of course, you're going to be telling others about Jesus. And as you're doing that, make disciples. Don't just be content to win them to Christ, but, but disciple them. Bring them into maturity. Uh, and, and So make disciples is the only imperative in the verse, but go, baptize, and teach are all... Um, participles which modify the main verb. Now, go has some punch. We'll talk about that in the next uh, point, in this last point. But first and foremost, the focus in this text is on making disciples. Jesus was telling his disciples to go out and reproduce themselves, make more disciples. And you and I are here because Jesus in Galilee, in history, in space and time, said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples. Because all authority is given to me on heaven, under heaven and earth, go and make disciples. Our calling is to do our part to ensure that the, there will be disciples all over this world 2,000 years from now. If the Lord tarries. Look, I want Jesus to return as badly as you do. Let's actually, let's call for some special prayer meetings and pray that he returns before the election this year. Would that be? I think that would be well attended. We want the Lord to return. But he may not for another 2,000 years. Oh, it's never been like it is. I agree. But it was never like it had been in the 1,000 and. When the British defeated the Spanish Armada, that was it. This is, he's coming. He's here. It's, we, we live in this tension. We're looking, we're saying, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we'll say it more passionately if indeed we face open, direct persecution. But we also are to be about the business of making disciples. Of course, discipleship begins with a commitment to follow Jesus. And it's exciting to be thinking about outreach and about helping others see the need for Christ. But know that we are not called to evangelize to the exclusion of building up those who already belong to the body of Christ. What are we going to say to people if our church is a mess? If we're at one another's throats, we're backbiting, we're just struggling, sin is very open and... Nobody does anything about What are we going to That's where you want to invite people. Hey, come be a part of us. They're, they'll take a look and say, uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. To be a disciple is to come under the authority of Jesus. So before we think briefly about this last point, that we're going to be thinking about a whole lot this fall, May I ask you, would you say you're under the authority of Jesus? Maybe one of the ways to answer that in your mind is to when's the last time you said, nobody, I'm not. Are you under the authority of Jesus? Are you all in? Are you kind of playing at this or are you all in? 
The call to be fully committed is not meant to imply that you have to be at your absolute best before you share the gospel. In fact, when you have an encounter with a lost person, and clearly here's an opportunity to share Christ, are you doing little mental gymnastics like, did I have my quiet time this morning? Uh, Gosh, what about that sin? I'm not sure if I confess. Look, share the gospel. Share the gospel. One of the great beauties about the gospel is that God loves us in spite of. And He uses His word in spite of. It does mean, though, that believers must consistently remember that they are men and women under authority, that they raise their Ebenezer, and that they live consistently live accordingly to the consistent beliefs that they have, which means that they are to love one another even when it is difficult. And that may sound completely out of place from all that we've been talking about, but when you do that trek through the New Testament, you're going to keep coming back to that over and over. Love, it's the greatest, it's the highest, it's, it's everything. There is no law against love. A lot of people think the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit is love, and from love flows joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, good, yada, yada, remembering in the King James, as I do, because that's when I memorized all that scripture when I was young and read the King James. So, young ones, I just said this recently, memorize scripture now. And then live as if you believe that it is true. That, that prepares us for the last calling in our purpose statement. Engage the world with the gospel. You ever wondered why we say it that way exactly? I mean, why not win others to Christ? Why not have as our mission to make Jesus famous in our land? Why not have as a mission statement, bring Harnett County under the Lordship of Christ. Stop and think about it for just a moment. We don't get to decide those things. We can do our part on all of these things when, when we share Jesus with others. The Scripture makes it clear that we are to plant Water, but then what happens? God gives the increase. The first three centuries, Jesus was not famous. His name became gradually more famous. And then one day, Constantine saw the vision that said, in this sign, conquer the cross, it was. And probably the church is in a way bigger mess after Christianity became legal than it was before Christianity became legal. Jesus will make himself famous, but not while the kingdom of the world is as it is. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And as far as bringing this county under the lordship of Christ again, as we as believers band together and we give our hearts to the Lord, it just happens. Revivals happen because God sends them. And often He sends them in response to prayer. So absolutely we have a role in it. But remember this. Remember this when you're interpreting Scripture. Remember this when you're interpreting the parable. Everything. God is the active agent. 
We respond. We yield. And he does this beautiful work. The rest of the world says, America, get over yourself. God's word says to us over and over, Christians, get over yourself. And you know what? When, when the rest of the world says, America, get over yourself, well, I just, I just want to bow up. When people say, as a believer, you need to get over yourself, I want to bow up. How did we get here? I'm not sure exactly. We don't get to determine exactly what happens, but we do get to engage the world with the gospel. We get to interact and be a part of what God is doing, so much so that I am convinced that something major is going on whenever the Lord allows me to to interact with people on a, on a serious basis. I think, the, I sense that the Holy Spirit is doing something. And He uses me, and I love being a part of that, not because it's me, but because the Lord is using me. We're commanded to be faithful in sharing the message of Jesus to the world. He is the one who will bring others to Himself. When He returns to this earth, He will reign over all. It is our responsibility, though, to share the gospel. Let me ask you this. Would you expect better success in America sharing the gospel, in China sharing the gospel, or in Europe sharing the gospel? Probably China. Then America. Then Europe. What's wrong with the Christians in Europe? What's wrong with the Christians in America? Nothing. God is doing His work in the way that He wants to do His work. We'll be talking about the kingdoms that are in conflict, this world and God's kingdom. Our responsibility, share the gospel. I heard someone say years ago, and it's so true. Sharing the gospel is successful evangelism. In Matthew 28, I mentioned earlier that make disciples is the main verb. Go, baptize, teacher, all participles, modify in the main verb. To be Technical for a moment, make disciples is the only imperative or command in the verse. In the Greek, participles that, like I say, technical for just a moment, participles that precede an imperative take on imperatival force. They can take on that force, the same force as an imperative. Those that follow, not so much. It's not quite the same. You're looking at something primary. And so the point that I'm making, go, comes before. It comes at the first. And, and he's saying, go, therefore, make disciples. And as you go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. That word obey, we'll talk about sometime. It doesn't mean the same thing as it, as it meant in earlier days, it's, it's, it's not just obey out of duty. It's, it's to treasure. And obeying will follow if you treasure God's commands. When you think about it, it is inconceivable that we who believe the gospel would keep such a grand treasure to ourselves. It just that's a, doesn't make sense. doesn't mean that every one of us will be eager every day to witness to people but we all 
want to have a part in engaging the world with the gospel. I'll explain this more fully along the way. But when you're setting up chairs, tearing them down, setting them up for women's ministry, and then you're bringing them back in, setting them up for Sunday, you're part, that's part of taking the gospel to the world. Again, I'll explain that more fully as we go. In, in Matthew 28, though, Jesus is commanding his disciples to make more disciples by sharing the gospel. That's what we'll be focusing on all semester. I hope you are as excited as I am about this series. I'm a little nervous because I know that just being in this, in this, in the Word and, and thinking about evangelism, I'm going to be led by the Spirit to do a lot more witnessing than I have been doing. Um, so, and we're and we're going to be called to witness in, in a land that is increasingly tired of the name of Jesus and is growing hostile to the name. For all my comments about sharing the gospel whenever I have opportunity, I'm still nervous. But that's okay. I'm not commanded to be successful. I'm just commanded to share, to engage. Let's encourage one another in this great calling to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, um, our hearts are full when we think about the fact that we were saved by the blood of Christ because someone in your sovereign divine plan, someone willingly came to us and shared the gospel. Thank you so much for the privilege of representing Jesus. Very personally, we get to represent Him. It's not like this is what this man has done for our country. This is like this is what the God of the universe did for me personally. And the Lord has brought me into a band of brothers and sisters that love on me and I get to love on and we get to tell the world the good news of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the impulse to go and thank you for even when we are tired and weary and fearful and scared, for encouraging, for exciting our hearts about the possibilities of telling others about the name that is above every name, the name under which heaven there is no other name given by which we must be saved. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand together? Now from Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And everybody said, Amen.